welcome to the latest episode in Clientships, Customer Experience Superheroes. This is the series that brings you ideas, insights and inspiration from the world of customer experience. We look at the superpowers that we feel you need to be a leader in customer experience today. In this episode, we are delighted to welcome one of the industry's most well-known and respected influencers, Chip Bell. Chip has an illustrious career working with organizations across the globe to improve aspects of their customer experience and is both a prolific author and a very highly regarded presenter. I caught up with Chip to understand more about his latest book, Inside Your Customer's Imagination. So it is an absolute uh, personal delight of mine to have one of the industry's most recognised and respected figures. So welcome to Chip Bell. Hello, sir. How are you? I am wonderful, Christopher, and it's a delight and honour to be with you. Thank oh, you so much. That's very gracious of you. So where, where, are we, uh, where are we hearing you from today, Chip? Actually, I'm in the United States in the state of Georgia at Lake Oconee. I'm wow. sure all your listeners know exactly where Lake Oconee is. <laughs> Wonderful. And um, you've been a man who, I think, unless you've been hidden in a cave and studying customer experience, your name comes up as a reference in so many aspects of customer experience. So do you feel like you've always been involved in this topic or is it something that you've sort of grown into? No, I think I've been, uh, at least in my professional career, I've, uh, I've been involved um, for uh, my whole career a long time. Um, I'm in my 40th year. This is, wow. as a, I'm still learning, Christopher, I still <laughs> But I've always been really intrigued by why people buy, why people are loyal to an organization, what causes that to occur, what organizations to do to not only attract and retain a customer, but how do they transform them into uh, an advocate, um, somebody with intense loyalty. I've always been intrigued by what we refer to sometimes as cult-like brands and uh, what, what makes that happen in people. And um, I studied it in graduate school, consumer psychology, and it's always been an interest of mine. And fortunately, um, there's a great need because customer experience, customer service is something that we have to continually improve because our customers are always changing. Mm. Uh, their ex- expectations are continually changing and going higher and higher and higher. And so it keeps me with job security. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I think that's a very interesting point around the expectations, because invariably the, the curse of being very good at what we do is you raise the expectations. So therefore, you've got to work harder. What, what right. was yesterday's distinction becomes today's table stakes. And, and, I, and I guess you must have seen that not just in terms of organizations waking up to the potential of, of customer service and customer experience, but also in the way that technologies play the part in that. Absolutely. And, and, and technology today obviously is a, plays a major role, but I still think that fundamentally, you know, we, we know customer experience is an emotional experience. And so that hadn't changed. But what it takes for that customer to be engaged emotionally has changed. We used to be fine with a, a customer service that was satisfactory in that it met our needs. That was, that was enough. If I got what I paid for, I was fine with that. But now, as more and more organizations distinguish themselves with the experience they create, it raises the expectations. And the challenge is, when it comes to the experience, all organizations are compared to 
any organization that's delivering a great experience, regardless of whether it happens to be their industry or not. That changes the stakes. You know, we don't compare an automobile dealership to a grocery store in terms of the product, but we would compare the experience to another. And so that's, uh, again, it makes its expectations go higher and standards go higher and it makes it more challenging. It isn't that the truth. And I imagine, I mean, sort of some of the organizations you worked with, they must play back to you. But Chip, we're in pharmaceuticals or we're in automotive, that's different. But the point you make there, the outside in perspective, consumers are not particularly fussy. They will pick and choose the best experiences and that expectation is set regardless of what sector you're in. Absolutely. And even then, you mentioned pharmaceuticals. I've done a lot of work over the years with organizations like GSK, which is headquartered in the UK. And, um, you know, they recognized uh, long ago that while obviously the product they manufacture is important, the relationship with a vendor, the relationship with a consumer was equally important. And so delivering great experience to uh, someone that whomever they serve, whether it's a B2B relationship with a a distributor or whether it's ultimately the consumer who buys that particular pharmaceutical product is irrelevant. I got to think through the lens of those I serve. Regardless of whether it's in consumer or it's the supply chain, the right. experience is still important. Absolutely. Chip, we're, we're used to seeing you on stage and, and sadly current climate means we can't do that. So we just have to, we have to see you through the screen at the moment, but I know you've been very busy and, and in the last month you've, you've got a new book out inside the customer's imagination. Um, five secrets of great uh, of creating breakthrough products, services, and solutions. You got it. And, and I, I want to call attention to the picture on the cover because I think it is symbolic. It's hilarious. Uh-huh. T- tell us the tell us the uh, the rationale for the picture because it's a okay, great, great picture. Well, let me tell you the story. Um, Dominic Skinner um, was from Surrey, and he was in a pub apparently, from what I've heard. And he overheard a couple of customers make the comment that wouldn't it be great if their teacup had a way to warm their cookie. Um, and so he, he was a designer of products. And so he created a dunk mug, which is pictured on the cover that yeah. um, has a cookie slid in the bottom of it. He patented it, sold it to Mocha UK. Uh, you can go online and Google dunk mug. Mm-hmm. And, and see references to Dominic Skinner. At any rate, so um, I've always been intrigued by that. And I thought it was a great symbol of how he was able to get kind of inside the customer's imagination and create a breakthrough product that made it unique. So um, I used that, hit his creation, that dunk mug now, you can buy it anywhere, well, online mostly. And I had a previous book called Sprinkles, Yes. Um, and so, therefore, I created a put, put a little cookie. My wife made the cookies and put sprinkles on them to, <laughs> and, and put them around the base of the cup. But it makes a, a colorful cover, but it also tells a story. And as you know from the book, I'm a storyteller. I oh, like, like to teach through stories. Yeah, I mean, I, I just want to pause on that because there's a lot of books out there and, you know, some really good authors. But actually, I think the way you bring it off the page is just fabulous. I, I feel myself being rushed down the corridors with, with the execs as they're being kind of lambasted for not looking after customers. So uh, exactly. I, think, I think you do a great, a great job in that. There's a parallel world. There's an Ian Fleming type, I think. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so, Chip, I mean, this isn't the first book that you've written, but I think it's a very topical book. We, we spoke earlier about data and about listening and, you know, having, having the ability to really humanize things. What's at the heart of this one, then? Could you tell us more? Well, all organizations on the planet, Christopher, know that 
they have to continually in, innovate, come out with new products, services, and solutions in order to survive. We don't just keep going back to the same when they have new, no new offering. And again, as we said, because customer expectations are changing, they're looking for new. Most of them turn to their research and development, their R&D department as the source of whatever innovation they have. Sometimes they study best practices of other organizations in their industries. I'm a customer guy. And so my view is, why, why would you not look inside your customer's imagination? Why would you not find ways to involve your customer in uh, creating a breakthrough product, service, or solution? But the challenge is, as I describe in the book, you know, imagination is, is something that's inside the customer. And I always like to describe it as a door opened only from the inside. So part of the challenge an organization has is to get the customer to open that door to give us access to their half-baked ideas that they might be reluctant <laughs> in sharing. And so the book is basically around how do you build a kind of partnership with your customers so there is a willingness to open that door and collaborate, I call it co-create, yeah. with you. And so it enables an organization, instead of building things for the customer, meaning on behalf of the customer, they're now creating it with the customer. The beauty part of it is not only do you get fresh new ideas from your customer, but the more they are a participant, the more their fingerprints are on what you create, the more their loyalty goes up. You know, oh. people care when they share. So it is, I mean, I think the expression you use is partnership, isn't it? So it's, it's actually an experience for the customer. The actual participation and the collaboration becomes another experience that they have connecting with that organization. Absolutely. Absolutely. And one in which they feel a sense of equality, a sense of egalitarianism, meaning I am truly equal with you. And what they take away from that is, is I'm treated with respect when you ask me to help you create something that I'm interested in and that you too are interested in. I'll give you an example of that. My wife and I were a couple of years ago, uh, visited the CIA, not not the one in Langley, Virginia, the Central Intelligence Agency, <laughs> but the Culinary Institute of America, oh, right, where the chefs are trained. Some of the, you know, there are two major producers of chefs, so to speak, Cordon Bleu and, this, and the CIA. Mm-hmm. It's Hyde Park, New York, and they have on campus three restaurants. We went to the, one of the restaurants for lunch and my order, my wife ordered lamb chops. And the woman who waited on us, who was graduating the next day to be the sous chef at the uh, Four Seasons Hotel in Philadelphia, said to her, uh, the chef recommends these be served medium rare, but do you have a different opinion? Think about that. Yeah. A chef, who's not just a chef, but a professor of chefs, recommends these be served a particular way, but your opinion is just as important. Wow. So we talked about that as being really great manifestation of the kind of respect that I think comes when customers are involved, as I say, in a collaborative, co-labor, working together way. Mm-hmm. Um, and that helps engender that uh, sense of loyalty on the behalf of the customer. What, what, what is the starting state for an organization? Because it, it feels it's quite an advanced position to be in to actually recognize that, that there's more than just a financial transaction the value exchange, this equity is the customer's going to give up their time and their imagination in exchange for a, an experience to collaborate with you and potentially to make a difference. So you know, right. an organization just on day one who perhaps doesn't care too much about customers, they can't do that, can they? You, you have to be quite advanced, don't you? That's right. That's right. And 
I think you can evolve to it. And I think it be, it's a great question, Christopher. I think it starts with, instead of getting customers to be a participant uh, in, in the creation, you ask for their opinion. What are your ideas? Right. What would you recommend? What would you do? I'll give you an example. Uh, Starbucks is a brand we all know all over mm-hmm. the world. And we sometimes think that all the products that are in uh, Starbucks uh, came from corporate. Yep. Cake pop came from customers. Flash stick. Wi-Fi in the stores all came from uh, from customers, not from corporate. So I think it, my example is it's, it's getting the customer to be uh, a part, involved in, uh, with you for their ideas, their input. Yeah. yeah. Suggestion. I can give you rational, average ideas of what I want, but that's not unlocking my imagination, is it? That's not firing up something in me that makes me feel excited. I want to be, I guess customers become very vulnerable because they're exposing, you know, crazy thoughts that you know you can latch onto as an organization go oh my god that's so valuable so do you go into in the book in terms of the techniques you can use to get customers to to fire up their imagination we think of dimming as one one of the leading proponents of quality and one of his views was driving fear out of the workplace you have to drive fear out of the relationship i've got to build relationships so the customer feels safe in delivering um, their half-baked crazy off-the-wall ideas, I think it starts with asking the customer the kind of questions that gradually push them to, to that area. And, and mm-hmm. so we begin to focus not just on their needs and expectations, but focus on their hopes and aspirations. And I'll give you an example. Yep. I was working with a major pizza company and they're known throughout the world. We were doing focus groups with the customers because they wanted to know what they could do better. And so the belief was that the conversation with the customer was largely going to focus on price, product, and process. Right, your your pizza is too expensive, or I don't like the fact that the, the you, you make it like you do. You can make it taste better, or I had to wait too long to get it because it's a delivery company, and so price, product, and process were what their expectations were. But we ask in the process of focus groups, we ask dreamer questions, what we call dreamer questions. And that is the kind of questions that will carry the customer outside of the normal way in which they talk about a product or a service. For example, we might say, what's something no pizza company's doing that would be interesting to you? And we ask questions like that. They kind of take you into that aspirational side. And we kept getting customers says, what about the box? Uh-huh. Yeah, the pizza box. What are you going to do with the pizza box? Well, <laughs> it never. We, we said, "What do you mean? What What are you talking about?" Well, I, you know, I get a pizza in a pizza box. I throw the box away. Why wouldn't you do something with the pizza box? What What would you have in mind? Well, you could create a puzzle or a coloring book or a a mask, you know, or for our kids to have fun with uh, at Halloween. Or that, so they started naming off all yeah. the ways you could use the inside of the box. Sure enough, years later, I worked with the major paper manufacturing company that made the boxes for this company, still a very mm-hmm. popular company. And sure enough, on the inside of that top lid, lid, you could peel off a layer of plastic so it wouldn't connect with the pizza. And there was a coloring book or, <laughs> was a, dance, or a puzzle or any number of things <laughs> that would make the box become something of a feature of the pizza. Well, it all comes from asking dreamer questions, questions yep. that take the customer out of their normal everyday way of thinking about a product or a service i mean that's just a, a, a brilliant example uh, and i think it it does demonstrate a couple of things the trust in order the customer to have the permission and the confidence to say something that 
everyone is going to go, what's he talking about? You know, to, yes. to, to allow that. But also I know you referenced the fact that you do, the focus is on the talk as opposed to listening to the intention or what's not said. I mean, are they areas that you can get some real gold from? Right. Absolutely. I, I use the phrase eccentric listening and eccentric you know, we think about eccentric as out of ordinary. We think of eccentric as extreme or strange or different or unique. And so when you listen like that, you're asking questions all over the place, all over the wall. Do they, you know, if this product was a horse, what would it look like? You know, you ask questions that are kind of like, oh, man, I never thought about it like that. But what you're doing in the process is you're learning more about the customer. And that's one of the most important things. But you're learning that together, you're going, eh, I hadn't thought about it like that, but well, you could do that, or you couldn't do that, but you could do a variation on the theme, or that reminds me of something like this. And so it's, you know, and many of the things that are sort of the tech tactics that you would use to help foster that kind of thinking, you can find in most any creative thinking book. You know, there are lots and lots yep. of techniques to help people break out of the normal way in which they think and break the patterns of the way they normally think about it. Uh, and think differently. But I think it starts with really demonstrating to the customer you are sincerely interested in, you're showing strong curiosity, you're intensely interested in them, what matters to them, what's important to them. Because what's important is that they not just feel like they're heard or understood, but they feel valued. Yeah. And it, yeah. you know, it, and that's the key part. When I feel valued and I'm in a, in a conversation or a relationship, then I'm more likely to feel comfortable sharing crazy off the wall kind of information. And so it's like, I think that's the key is, is getting that customer to feel safe, secure, no fear in the way that, but it starts with listening and, and showing the customer you really are interested in learning. You know, one of the techniques I talk about in the book is called be the customer. Right. And be the customer. You know, I borrowed that phrase kind of from, what we teach kids when they're learning to play baseball, you know, you hear coaches say, be the ball, be the ball, be the ball, which is, which is all aimed at getting a youngster to stay focused uh, on the ball when the pitcher releases it so that you, you can, you can hit it. Well, be the customer means I got to figure out a way to stand in my customer's shoes and really see the world through their eyes and feel and think like that customer, which demonstrates that they really care. And I'll give you a fun example. Uh, my wife's hairdresser, Johnny Adair, and I use this example in the book. Johnny Adair has been known to get a permanent. And I uh -huh. said, Johnny, why? Because he also does my hair. I said, Johnny, why do you do that? Why did you get a permanent? And he said, well, I realized that when women get a permanent, it, it can be one of the most uh, awkward and embarrassing and uncomfortable moments for them. So I figured if I could get a permanent, I kind of really get to live through what they go through right. and enable, enable me to see things I yeah. can make changes in so the experience was more comfortable for them when they went through that. Well, he's done that and he's made a lot of changes and he's got a huge following, a lot of fan base because he's learned to be the customer. Yeah. You know, yeah. I always say, you know, when you're out sometime, call your own department, disguise your voice and ask for something out of the ordinary and just mm -hmm. see kind of what customers go through or yeah. kind of be an undercover leader and go, well, let's go shop our own brand and see what our customers are experiencing as a customer. Those kind of things, I think, help demonstrate to the customer you really are sincerely interested in learning them that what matters to them. And out of that demonstration, they know you care. They know they're valued and they'll share a lot more. 
that leads me to, to another point that you mentioned. I think this is one of the most overused words in, in what we do. But actually, I think the way that you talk about it in the book demonstrates a deep understanding of it. And that's empathy. You, you talk right. about it in terms of humility and sensitivity. And it's like you just mentioned the hairdresser. You can be very superficial with empathy and therefore oh. it actually works against you. But it's getting yeah. to that point. I think the actual word you use is authentic. That yeah. real authentic empathy, isn't it? That's what you're talking about here. I think it's, yeah. And, and I think when, I think we read through the, the, when it's done in a way that's superficial and not sincere. We, we as humans have the capacity to sense we that. We do, don't we? Yeah. Yeah, we do. We sense that. And when it's real authentic and, and done with a sense of sincere curiosity, I mean, it, you know, when we go to a family reunion or a high school or a school reunion, you know, people are always asking questions, but we can tell when someone's really interested in us or they're just superficial conversation. We feel it. And so I think it's helping people demonstrate the way in which they approach the customer, the way in which they act needs to bring a sense of, of humility and authenticity. The more sense of realness we can bring, uh, the more that customer again feels safe enough to say, well, I'm sense you really do care about mm. this. Being in the customer's shoes, experiencing their world, and, and again, our, our quest is to build a relationship where they want to share their breakthrough ideas. And if technology has been brought in to, you know, make some of the touch points more efficient than the kind of the more mundane ones, then I'm guessing that those moments when there's human interaction become more meaningful for customers in the experience. And therefore, to be, or you, you've got to invest in that. You've got to give yourself to that so that the customer says, this is the thing, I, I won't remember the efficiency of a, an app but I will remember the words you used and how right. you used them and the time you took with me. So yes. arguably the human interaction is even more important now than ever Absolutely. before in customer experience and customer yes. service. You're so right, Christopher. That is the most important thing because basically service is human serving humans. And, and when we bring that sense of humanity to what we do, we feel valued and it's far more memorable than what we came for or whether we got our needs met. It's how we got treated in the process. Mm. I mean, I guess it feels like it's quite a, quite a different audience. But who have you who have you aimed this book at? I mean, who who is your 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 kind of the key key individual that you think will get the most value from this book? Well, the author in me says everybody, but sure, uh, <laughs> your publisher says everybody. 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 <laughs> but I did write it. I did I did write it to de to cover a broad marketplace, and mm. I've had people that um, have told me you know, this is not only a great book for my relationship with my customers, but this has given me a new insight how to deal with my employees. Cause I, wow. as a, their leader, you know, uh, they're people that I serve. And so I look at it through those eyes. I've had people say a lot of the partnership concepts are help me in my other personal relationships with my friends or family or neighbors, because fundamentally it's about creating a partnership laced with a sense of valuing and respect um, and safety. And so people have found applications. So that's why I say, um, I think it serves the primary target market or people who, who are interacting with, with customers every day or people who lead folks who mm -hmm. do interact with customers every day. Um, and that's why mo the great majority of the examples I use are are largely from businesses and their relationship. And I've tried to include large organizations, small organizations. I've tried to include B2C organizations or B2B organizations. So to demonstrate that the principles behind it are applicable 
in all of those contexts. I'm glad to touch upon that because I mentioned earlier about the maturity, but that was another dimension I wanted just to tap into because it doesn't feel like, certainly the way you, you put it across, this isn't corporate world only. This is Joe running a dry cleaning company on the corner right. can deliver this. It, it's the street food vendor. You know, yeah. it is also the corporate, but it's applicable yeah. to everyone. And I yeah. think to myself, it's really interesting you meet, you say that you had some feedback about personal relationships because what this is about is actually saying customers will want to spend more time with you. If you can free their own imaginations to think differently, isn't that really valuable? I mean, you like hanging around with people like that that make you feel good and think differently, don't you? Absolutely. Absolutely. And we know that from lots and lots of research, the more time they, it's like stickiness, uh -huh. you know, the more, the more time I spend on your, on your website, uh, the more likely I'm going to make a positive decision about you or make a combined decision about you in the much the same way. The more the more a business attracts customers who like to hang around and be there because of the way they're treated, the more likely the revenue goes up. And more importantly than the revenue, in many ways, is the advocacy. Sure. And that is people not only buy from you, but they also encourage others through the stories they tell, encourage other people to come spend time and money with you as well. So... And that advocacy chip, I mean, the last thing you want is to say, you've got to, go, you've got to be with these guys because you can beat them down for a low price. What we're talking about here is the advocacy saying, they just, I don't know what it's about them, just great people to be with, you know. Oh, they listen to me and they, they apply what they do. And so if right. you can underpin it with that kind of that commercial return as well, then it shows yeah. investing in this is actually a very good fiscal initiative as well. Right. And you make a really good point, Christopher. It's not just you won't get to get um, customers to recommend you. You want them to tell stories about you because yeah. we've done a lot of research that says a recommendation, I would recommend so-and-so, you know, is not going to have near the impact in terms of attracting a potential customer as a story. Hey, mm -hmm. you're not going to believe what happened to me. Let me tell you mm -hmm. what happened, what they did. The stories are compelling, meaning they attract uh, like a magnet and bring prospects in. Uh, far more than just a recommendation. And so um, this is the kind of experiences when customers get to be involved and be a part of it and help alter and change what's, what's done, they're more apt to have a story that will attract others. That's what stands out about this book, Chip. It's the storyteller in you comes through there. I would speak for many we're missing you on the stage at the moment with the, with those stories. So uh, I think, you know, it's, it's a worthy surrogate. It's not the same as, as seeing you on stage, but this is something that people can take. And what I like about it is it's not just theory. You know, the amount of practical references you've got in there, you can actually start to think, yeah, I can do that. I can apply this to what I'm doing. So people can take it and start to actually action on the back of it. So, and, and I'm grateful for that because there's a lot of good books out there. There's just strategic or theoretical, whereas this is a real kind of, get the knowledge, get the belief and start doing stuff with it. So thank you for that. Thank you. Thank you for Christopher. I appreciate that. No worries. So um, if people want to get a copy of the book, I guess um, Amazon is a good place to go to. We'll give them a link for that. And Any place you buy books should have it. Um, yeah. particularly if you're buying them online, um, you can absolutely. 
Yeah, and, and you know, having, having having seen inside the book, the ideas in there are globally applicable as well. Whether you're in Latin, you know, Asia Pacific, or Europe, or Africa, anywhere, it, even America, these things are very applicable. So, uh, you know, I like you know, that. And I think it's, I think that's testament to you know some of the organisations you work with are international, so it's got to work. Uh, oh, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. So, and they're all all over the world. Yeah. Yeah. So, so almost a money back guarantee because you know these are proven concepts there, Chip, for people to apply. So. Thank Excellent you. work. Uh, well, look, thank you very much for your time. It, honestly, it's a, it's a, it's a bit of a, a bucket list for me to get you onto the CX Superheroes podcast series. So, so thank you I'm so much. With you, Christopher. Thank you so much. Thank All you. right, Chip. Look, you take care of yourself. Um, hope to see you at uh, some point so we can uh, see like that, that. that performance on stage. But until okay. then, we've, we've got your book. So Good thanks deal. ever so much for joining us My again. Pleasure. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.